You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Friends, you know, drinking coffee has become so much an integral part of life in modern Western society that we've developed a whole language around the idea of having coffee. All these expressions, you know, can we do coffee? Can we chat over coffee? Can we go out for a coffee? And we use these terms all the, all the time. And when I was growing up, they just weren't in existence because you just didn't go out and have coffee like we do today. It's been a, a huge trend in modern Western society. And we're certainly well and truly in the grip of it here in the lower North Shore. Very little happens. It doesn't happen over, over coffee. And these expressions like, can we go for coffee? They can have both negative and, con- and positive connotations, depending on the circumstances and depending on who's doing the inviting. In most instances, if your boss said, can we go for a coffee? You'd wonder what that was about, probably. Take a look at this. Might jolt a few minutes. Kevin, can we go for a coffee? You're fired! I love you. I've said it. We need to fake your death. You have a wonderful body. I made a sculpture of you. You'll be based in North Korea. <laughs> Come, Sumni Dow. Kevin. Kevin. Hey, what are we going to grab a dare iced coffee? Yes, the coffee moment without the moment. My, my favourite is we, we need to fake your death. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine what that could involve. Now, look, friends, here's the shocking truth. And this is a reflection on the church of Jesus Christ and some of the poor messages that we have given out over the years to the world. Many people out there, friends of yours, neighbours, relatives, colleagues, many people out there, if they could imagine Jesus asking, can we go for a coffee? What do you think they're going to imagine? They're going to imagine him telling them where they're failing, how bad they've been behaving, where they need to tidy up their lives, where they need to stop sinning. Uh, This is the impression that many, many people would have if Jesus said, can we go for a coffee? I go, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. (laughs) Like one of the many religious uh, bumper stickers that were around in the 70s. The, the, the 70s were prolific for religious bumper stickers. And I'll give you the sanitised version of this one. It was, Jesus is coming. And he's really ticked off. You know, he's really mad. He's out to get you. I remember thinking in negative terms when I was invited to see a minister for the first time ever. It's amazing. And I was 19 years of age before a minister ever asked to see me. And I've been in the church from day one. And the young people in this church would find that amazing because through the ministry of Kristen Haddon and our youth team, we're inviting our teenagers for coffee all the time as part of our pastoral ministry to them. But in my day, 19 years of age, I got home from work one afternoon. And I can clearly remember my mum. She was standing at the sink. And she said, Graham, Mr. Wood rang up today. He was our minister. He wants to see you. And first thought, oh, my gosh, what has he found out? I mean, you know, has he found out that I go to the Melville Stomp, which was in the southern suburbs of Perth? Has he found out that I went and saw that Billy Thorpe concert? We weren't supposed to do that sort of thing. 
Has he found out that I dated a non-Christian girl the other month? I didn't know. My mind was racing. As it turned out, he simply wanted to ask me about leading the Intermediate Christian Endeavour Group, which was my first introduction to Christian leadership, and I haven't been out of it since. So here's Jesus. Can we go for a coffee? And most people are going to go, uh-oh. Uh-oh. And, and the, the implied message is, why would you want to go for a coffee with me, Lord? I mean, there are lots of other people who are far more in touch with you, whose lives are so much more in sync with you. You could spend your precious time with others and communicate at a much deeper level than you could with me. Why would you want to have coffee with me? Needless to say, there are, there's no record in the Bible of Jesus having coffee with anybody. Right? I don't think they even drank coffee in those days. Or if they did, they certainly didn't drink coffee in, in Palestine. But you know what? There are some accounts of Jesus having a very intimate, a very personal encounter with certain people, which if coffee had been available, I'm sure would have involved coffee. Okay. There are several instances. Jesus was giving to these people an extraordinary amount of his time. And my guess is that the numbers of these people I'm going to share with you would have said, why me? Why are you giving? Why are you wanting to sit and talk with me? Let me give you four of them this morning. First one is Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus. It's found in Luke chapter 19. Not only did Zacchaeus ask, why me? But within a short time of Jesus meeting up with him, the whole town was asking, why him? Lord, he's a tax collector. He's ripping us off on behalf of the Romans. We hate him. We can't stand him. Why are you having coffee with him? Of course, Zacchaeus himself, he's, he's trying to remain as low key as possible. So he climbs a tree. But the Bible just simply says he wanted to see Jesus. Now, he could have gone to the front row of the line. He's just a little guy. In fact, that's what he tried to do, start off with. But he knew that on the front line, that's where he'd get the real glares. People go, oh, there's that little tax collector. That's where the parents would be you know, pulling their kids back from getting close to him. That's where they'd probably jostle him back from the front row in the back anyway. See, why, why cope with the embarrassment? I'll just climb a tree. And so that's where... That's what he did. So he climbs a tree. But what happens? Jesus stops at the base of the tree, looks up and says, Zacchaeus, let's go for a coffee. Well, actually, he says, I want to come to your place and have a meal. But, yeah, that's the sort of the tone that Jesus would have been, would have been using it on that day. Second example is this, the woman at the well. Uh, it's in John chapter 4. And, and her first why me comes before she even knows who Jesus is. You remember the story? She says, why me? Why do you ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan. You Jews hate us. You think we're unclean. You think we've got it all wrong. Why me? Why are you asking me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why pick me? Her feelings of inadequacy and guilt, of course, rise to almost unbearable levels once she finds out who Jesus really is. And that comes a bit later. Here's the third one. The man at the Bethesda pool. Recorded in John chapter 5, 18, first, first, first 18 verses. The Bible says there was a large crowd that day at the Bethesda pool. You check it out, Luke, uh, John chapter 5. A large crowd was on hand. And it describes the condition of the people in considerable detail. It just doesn't say there was a large crowd of sick people. For whatever reason, John goes into detail. He says, verse 3. There were the blind, the lame, and the paralysed. Talk about a scene of desperate need. 
just a seething mass of, of humanity all gathered in the one spot because the legend was that if an angel came down, touched the waters, stirred them up, first person in, got healed. Massive people waiting for that stirring. Now, here's the really puzzling thing about this incident. Friends, all the evidence, all the evidence that we can find in the Bible relating to this incident tells us only one person got healed. Only one person got healed. In fact, verse 13 actually refers to Jesus slipping quietly away. He slipped quietly away. That would have left a lot of people saying, hey, hey whoa, hey, Jesus, wait, wait a minute. What, 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 about, what about my auntie? She, she's been here for years. What, what about my brother? He, he's been here for ages. How about my dad? We bring him here every day. What, 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 what about us? And it would have left one man, one man saying, why me? What? Out of this big crowd, why me? The final example is the Apostle Peter. John chapter 21. Verses 15 to 17. This is the incident following the resurrection. This is the incident where Peter decides in light of all that's happened, the death of Jesus, the resurrection, the appearances, the the uncertainty of the whole thing. Peter says, you know what? I'm going to go back to that which I know best. I'm going back to fishing. Many of you are familiar with the fact that he goes back to fishing and he's lost his touch because on the first night of fishing, they catch nothing. Right. And then comes the dawn and there's a stranger on the shore. And he says, hey, boys, throw your net out on the other side and you'll get a surprise. They do that and there's a catch of fish that is so great they can't even pull it into the boat. Now, friends, listen. And then Jesus, of course, joins them for breakfast. Now, here's the thing. This is a very different Peter from the one who stepped out on the side of the boat courageously and started walking on the water. Hey, Jesus, can I play too? This is a very different Peter to that guy. This is a very different Peter to the one who emphatically said, oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow. This is a very different Peter to the one who defiantly told Jesus, I will never leave you. These other guys, who knows? But I will never, ever leave you. Or deny you. This is the same. This is not the same Peter who pulled his sword out in the Garden of Gethsemane, started swinging around to defend Jesus, managed to cut the ear of a high priest's servant off. A much better fisherman than he was a swordsman, by the sound of it. This is a very different Peter to those days. This is a broken man, right here. He's not jumping out of the boat this day. He's barely pulling the boat up to the shore. He's a broken man. He's a humbled man. He's a He's a man more acutely aware of his own fragility and vulnerability than he's ever been before. Why? Well, you know why. Because he had denied Jesus not once, not twice, three times. With that sort of background, oh me, whoa, three times he denied Jesus. And Jesus in this passage asks him on three occasions, Peter, do you love me? And Peter would have been thinking, why me? Why are you asking me this question after all I've done? Why are you even taking any notice of me? So, friends, what do we have? Well, we've got four people who, for their own reasons and in their own ways, would have been somewhat shocked and surprised by the ministry of Jesus to them. Why me? In the context of our series, why would you want to go to coffee with me? 
But contrary to what they might have thought, Jesus treats every one of them with dignity and with sensitivity. He's not negative. He's not critical. He's not judgmental. No, he has a specific message for each one of these individuals. A specific message. It's personal. It relates specifically to their issues. And it's very, very timely. It's right on the money in terms of its timing. And look, friends, for the purposes of this first message in this series, what Jesus says to each of these individuals who probably thought that he wouldn't even give them the time of day, let alone give them a a soul-enriching message, what he says to each of them is, I believe what he would say to you and me if we were to have coffee with him. Particularly if we were to say, why me? These are the things he would say. Look at these messages. To Zacchaeus. The message to Zacchaeus was, let me give you victory. Let me give you victory. Zacchaeus, you've allowed the sins of greed and indifference to get such a grip on you. You're ripping people off. You don't even care. You become so insensitive to the needs of people. You're cold. You're indifferent. You need to change dramatically. You've fallen so deeply into sin. You need to radically change, my friend. And what were the changes? (laughs) Zacchaeus, at the end of the coffee, comes out and says, you know what, if I've robbed anybody, and I know I have, I'm going to give them back four times, whatever it is I've taken. And besides that, I'm going to give half of all my goods to the poor. Here's a man who's been radically changed. Jesus' message was, let me give you victory over that which is just dragging you back and making you less than you could be. Okay, the woman at the well, desperately seeking love, affirmation, meaning in life. She's, but like the old song says, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Short burst, superficial relationships, been married five times, living with a guy. This is the kind of issue she was dealing with. And Jesus' message to her, let me refresh you. Let me refresh you. She'd come to draw water from a well. She'd come at a time when nobody else came because she was so ashamed, so embarrassed. She came looking for water. Jesus spoke about living water. He talked about water that would satisfy her thirst forever. Let me refresh you. And then there's the man at the Bethesda pool, unable to move without assistance for 38 years, says the Bible. And not surprisingly, Jesus' compassionate message to him was, let me heal you. Of course. But friends, it was more than just a physical healing in this instance. You see, Jesus had clearly identified other issues in the man's life. Leading him to ask that very confronting question, Do you want to get well? Uh, The one that's always puzzled the the casual reader of this passage. Do you want to get well? 38 years sick. Do you want to get well? Hello? What kind of question is that? But you see, Jesus was asking, are you ready for change? Are you ready to literally stand on your own two feet? Are you willing now to take the focus off yourself and your needs and start taking the needs and the lives of others into account. Now, that's a a healing that's far deeper than just physical healing. 
And Jesus somehow identified these sort of issues in this man's life. Do you want to get well? Are you ready to pay the price? Do you want to be healed? And what about the Apostle Peter? Finally, well, he, he denied Jesus three times, despite his insistence that he never would, three times. And what is the approach Jesus takes in going for a coffee, as it were? Having a close, intimate relationship or chat, rather, to this special friend. Well, just as Peter denied Jesus three times, so Jesus asks him to affirm his love and devotion three times. Obviously believing that a threefold denial needed a threefold reaffirmation, reassertion of his his commitment to Jesus. And here it is in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. The question comes three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter is somewhat troubled and he's even a little bit, he's a bit anxious. And he says, Lord, you, you know I love you. Why, why, why do you keep asking these questions? But clearly that's what Jesus thought. A threefold denial needed a threefold affirmation, a threefold expression of loyalty and devotion. And friends, this would be needed. This would be needed because this broken, humbled man had to rediscover the meaning of his name. Peter, rock, solid. He had to rediscover the meaning of his name because he was about to become a pivotal player in the establishment of the Christian church. Day of Pentecost has the privilege of doing the sermon. Thousands of people come to Christ, get baptized. This man had to rediscover his strength. He was a broken man that night on the fishing boat. Threefold denial would have ripped his heart out. So a threefold affirmation. And Jesus gently draws this recommitment out of Peter. And so the basic message to Peter was, let me restore you. Let me restore you. Let me restore your joy. Let me restore your confidence. Let me restore your sense of purpose and mission in my ministry. Now, look, friends, I don't know what Jesus might say to you. If you were to sit down and have coffee with him, I know some of the things he'd say to me, but I do know this. I do know this. If you have even a hint, even a hint of why would he want to have coffee with me? If you have even a hint of that, here are some of the things on the basis of the word of God. I know he will want to say to you. He want to convey to you. I want to give you victory. I want to really refresh you. I want to heal you and all that that means. And I want to restore you. That would be his message to you and me. And look, these aren't one-off messages. These form the very basis of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're delivered constantly, not over a cup of coffee. They're delivered via the Holy Spirit. And they're delivered as we pray, as we read the word, as we gather for communion, as we worship, as we do life with other Christians in our connection groups. These messages and so many others are conveyed to us, not over coffee, but through the Holy Spirit. What is the most important of those for you today? Only you can answer. You need victory over sin. It's dragging you down. Do you need to be refreshed? Because your spiritual life's become a bit flat. Not the meaning you once had. Do you need to be healed? Not just necessarily physical healing, 
but healing of your attitudes, healing from selfishness and everything's all about me, whatever the need. And is it, let me restore you. Have you drifted so far from his love and his grace? You're just going through the motions. Let me restore your joy. Friends, these are the messages that come to us constantly in our Christian lives from from Jesus Christ. And he's delivering these messages, not over a cup of coffee, but through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, here's the thing, just in closing. If that were possible, to have a a coffee with Jesus, how would you approach that? If you you would approach that with a certain amount of fear and trepidation, if your first thought is... Oh gosh, what's he going to find? What's he found out? Where have I gone wrong? Are you gonna, are you gonna, I'm sure he's going to beat me up. If that's your first reaction, chances are you're living a Christian life that's very judgmental. If you perceive Jesus to be incredibly judgmental and harsh on you, chances are you're going to be harsh and judgmental on other people. I've seen this over the years. So how we see this coffee scene is very important. But if you believe that Jesus Christ would treat you with love and dignity and grace and mercy and forgiveness, guess what? That's probably how you're going to treat other people as well. Can you see why this is so important? Because this determines the kind of spirituality we're expressing. This, this determines the kind of Christian life we're leading. And it's possible to lead a Christian life that's very judgmental, very harsh, and, and those people, generally speaking, if Jesus were to say, can we go for a coffee? Or would you welcome the invitation with joy and with appreciation? Can we go for a coffee? Wow, fantastic. Of course. You see, if you were to say, but Jesus, why me? I reckon he would embrace each one of us and with a twinkle in his eye, he'd say, why not? Why not? Have a coffee with Jesus this week. Have a coffee with Jesus every day. We call it maintaining an intimate relationship. Figuratively, have a coffee with Jesus. And don't ask, why me? Because he'll say, well, why not? You are precious. You're my child. Why not? Let's bow in prayer, shall we?